You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christians who want to write their first book and then more so they can lead their readers into spiritual freedom while at the same time leading their own families into financial freedom. I'm Mika Maples. If you haven't listened to the episode just before this one, you're going to want to go back and get some context. I'm right in the middle of reviewing a book called The Marshmallow Test. It's jam-packed with research about delayed gratification. And I believe it can help us build our writing careers because a writer who can manage her mind and emotions can accomplish anything. I can't wait to tell you more. But first, an invitation. You are an anointed and appointed writer, and I'm hosting a free five-day party in your honor. It's called First Book Fundamentals Week, and over the course of five days, I am going to be helping new writers like you take those early steps toward developing God's calling on their lives. If you are a Christian woman with publishing goals, you won't want to miss this. I will be teaching every day on the most important things that you need to know to build your writing career from the ground up. There will be fun giveaways, question and answer time, and chances for you to begin operating in your identity as a writer. So how do you join the party? It's only available to those of you who are in my Facebook group called Write for Impact. So stop what you're doing, go to Facebook, right now and search for Nika Maples, Write for Impact. I'll be here waiting on the podcast when you get back. Because one day, I believe you're going to look back and say that first book fundamentals week was where you got started. We begin the last week in October. Can't wait to see you there. And now, this is episode 89, The Marshmallow Test. Part two. So the second strategy is talk out loud. And I would have shown a picture to describe this next part of their experimentation process, but I couldn't find a picture of a clown that was not scary. So I'll just describe for you. The next phase of the experiment experiment that they did following the marshmallow test was to say, what if we tempted children even more and yet we equipped them with strategies? So they brought in older kids, kids maybe second or third grade, once they could hold a pencil and carry out a task. And they brought them into their room and it had the same table and chair, but the table and chair was across the room from another table. And on the other table, there was what was called the clown box. They had a box with the face of a clown on it. And in the clown's mouth, the clown's mouth was a window and they had a turntable of wonderful toys that they could see through this window. And so the box was just there with a turntable of toys. And then all around the clown box were broken toys, broken, unattractive toys. So across the room, they put the child, the second grader, 
with a desk, a table, and gave him two sheets of paper and a pencil. And they said, copy everything in this grid over to this blank grid. That's all you have to do is copy it. If there's a circle in a square, you write a circle in the corresponding square. If there's a star in the square, you write a star in the corresponding square. And the child said, yeah, I'll do it. And then they said, but here's the thing. The clown box is going to talk to you and it's going to ask you if you will play. Well, here's the thing. If you stop your work and you go play with the clown and you reach in for any of the things that the clown has in, in his box, then all you get to really play with during playtime is the broken toys. But if you wait and if you do all your work, I will come back, I the researcher will come back into the room after all your work is done. And if you didn't answer the clown, if you didn't go play with the clown, then you can have all the toys on the inside of the box. All the nice, new, shiny, perfect ones. So that's your dilemma. There's work to be done. If you finish the work and you're not tempted and you don't get up from doing the work, you get the shiny new toys. But if you do get up to, to, and don't finish your work and you engage with the clown, you only get the broken toys. Well, these students were not prepared for the temptation that the clown box offered because the clown box was not constantly going. It would start going every now and then and then shut off. So the clown box would light up with lights and play circus music and would say, come play with me, come play with me. All of these toys could be yours if you will come play with me. Doesn't this sound so interesting? It made me think of the temptation of Jesus and how Satan said, come, come over to me. All of this can be yours if you come and give your allegiance to me. So even though this was not a biblical book or in any way or any kind of faith-based book, they kind of touched on some deep spiritual truth with creating this experiment. So this is what they equipped those children to do. They, some of them, they told the strategy. Some of them, they didn't. The ones they told the strategy said, look, do not be tempted by the clown because... If you do your work and you stick with it, you can have all the toys. And it is going to require you talking out loud. So as you sit there and you do your work, when the lights come on, don't look at them. When the, when the clown says, come play with me, come play with me, then you say, I have work to do. And then it will go off. And then when it comes back on, 30 seconds later, you say it again. I have work to do. Leave me alone. I have work to do. And say it out loud. So the students that they told about that strategy were able to complete the work and they got all of the good toys. So reason with yourself. Reason with yourself. When you are faced with a temptation, no matter what it is, Say out loud, this is not worth it. Go away. I've got work to do. And say it out 
loud because there is something about saying it out loud that takes the secret out into the light. See, see, the secret temptations live in the dark. And once you say it out loud, leave me alone. I have work to do. I, I'm focusing on this right now, or I'm not really interested in that. It won't be worth it. If you say it out loud, instantly you create mental distance. You move that desire from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex, and you will be able to resist better than if you kept it all inside. So strategy number three are if-then statements. I found this absolutely fascinating because when they continued to experiment with people, they found that people who expected temptation and prepared for it by creating an if-then statement were much more successful. I show this picture because one of the examples they used was a man on a business trip. Often they pass the hotel bar and in the hotel bar will be a beautiful girl and they left their wife and children at home. They had no desire to walk into the bar and yet because they did not plan ahead for a temptation that they could have expected, they do walk into the bar and in essence ruin their whole lives. So in the book they say, if only that businessman had created an if-then statement ahead of time, expecting the same temptation that's always there, then they would have had a much more successful trip, which would have led to a more fulfilling life. So they gave the example. The businessman who wants to remain faithful, even though he travels, creates this if-then statement. If a coworker invites me to go to the bar, like a female co-worker invites me to go to the bar at the end of the day, just cool off, then I will go to my hotel room and call my wife. So then it was the decision making had been removed. They created the formula. If my female coworker asked me to go have a drink with her after the meeting, then I will go to my hotel room and call my wife. That's what I'm doing. And they already know that's what I'm doing. Or if I pass by the hotel bar and a beautiful woman is sitting there, then I will go to my hotel room and call my wife. So because they've created a statement, the thing about creating a plan or an if then statement, the research shows that it's a cue. So the second that you see the beautiful woman, the cue happens in your brain that you have a plan, you have an if then statement. So the temptation moves from the limbic system up to the prefrontal cortex and the plan begins. The whole thing engages. Couldn't we always do this at parties or even at Thanksgiving? If my favorite dessert is there at the buffet, then I will take one spoonful. If they're offering this at the baby shower, then I will do this. It, whatever the temptation is, whatever it is, if it's a regular desire of yours, expect it then. 
if I pull up to the Sonic drive-thru and they have a new limited edition item, then I will put a frame around it and describe it factually. Or if I drive up and I see a new limited edition item, then I will always order water with lime, whatever it is that you want to create. And how about um, when I was a teacher, parents always brought so much junk food and stuff up to the teacher's lounge. I would have done so much better if I had known about creating this plan, this mental cue that takes a hot thought and turns it into a cool thought. If there is a treat in the teacher's lounge, then I will get my mail. So I'm walking by to get my mail because I have, I don't have to make a decision. The decision has already been made. Normally I would have walked into the teacher's lounge. Oh, hmm. Which one of these things do I want? And then I'm making the decision in the hot thought. What's going to happen when you're making the decision in the hot thought? Not what you want. So if I had made the decision in advance, if there are treats in the teacher's lounge, then I will get my mail every time. I've automatically pushed into a cool thought. Makes sense. So there was another story that I loved. And I think this is the principle I'm pulling out of it, from it. When we throw eggs, they land on us. So he talked about this couple that um, the husband was a real talker in the morning and he loved to talk at the breakfast table and his wife was not a talker in the morning. She wanted to sit in silence, drink her coffee and read the paper. And so they went to counseling about this and somehow got involved with this research because um, the husband was so furious every single time he would sit and he'd want to tell something to his wife and she would never look up from the paper and just be tur turning the pages and he felt rejected he felt so furious that he wanted to throw something and one day he did he just picked up his plate and he threw the eggs at her well what happened then was she never went back to the breakfast table. Why? Because why would she if he's throwing eggs at her? So did this man get what he wanted? No, he got an even worse situation. Now his wife, who wasn't listening to him when he was talking to her, wasn't even in the room when he went to breakfast. So then they went to, to get some help with their relationship and this strategy was brought in. It was brought in that you need to put a frame around it and describe it factually. You need to um, talk to yourself and you need to um, create an if-then statement. And all three of those strategies um, create distance for you in the moment. So the man created a strategy. He said, if I'm overwhelmed with an urge to talk, and my wife isn't listening, then I will quietly get up from the table and go refill my coffee cup. And in the time it takes me to walk, to refill my coffee cup and sit back down, I will count, I will count. And then I will inside, and then I will ask my wife, is now a good time for you to listen? Well, they agreed. 
they agreed this would be a good thing to try. So the next time when he, he knew she didn't like talking in the morning, but he was just overwhelmed and he wanted to talk to her and she wasn't listening again. He said, I'm going to do what I've planned. He scooted back his chair quietly. He went, refilled his coffee cup, counting the whole way to 10 or 25, whatever it was. Then he sat back down and he said, is now a good time for you to listen? And because they had agreed, if then, if she's not listening, I'll refill my coffee cup and come back and ask her if she will listen. And she had agreed to the same if then, if he asked me to listen, then I will put down my paper and listen. And it worked. They both got what they wanted because you know when it started happening? Once the husband really felt listened to and felt heard, he stopped bothering her. He stopped trying to get her attention at times when she wanted to read the paper. So the result was sometimes she put down the paper and listened to him because he asked. And sometimes she just got to read the paper and he was quiet because he knew that's what she liked. So creating distance and having that plan in place was a good thing for both of them. Here's another thing that they discovered. Trust is a key factor in the ability to delay gratification. So for students, children who had come from families where promises had been broken again and again and again, more often than not, they ate the marshmallow right away because they didn't trust the researcher. They didn't believe that she really would come back and really would give them two marshmallows. They thought they had to take it for themselves while they could get it. Isn't that an interesting thing for the Christian to learn that if we have come from backgrounds where parents have broken promises to us again and again, it may be difficult for us to trust that God can leave and then come back again. If children cannot believe that a researcher would leave and then come back again in a 20 minute time span, how much harder is it for us that the king of the universe would leave and then come back again thousands of years later? And we don't necessarily trust that he will bring all the blessing with him so that what we forego now and what we sacrifice in this day and time will be worth it that we could delay our gratification and not have these tempting things now. And it will be so worth it when he comes back. I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting that maybe trust is one of the things we need to work on. Because the Christian worldview, the whole thing is based on trust and high delay ability. Every decision we make is about the future, isn't it? So this book is necessary for the Christian. If, if we don't learn how to think about the future, and really it's the far future, to do everything for the kingdom of God and for the sake of heaven, then really we're going to make every decision based on the here and now. Because the here and now is what we can see. And the future is what we can't see yet. And yet we believe that's faith. So the bottom line is that creating distance in any way helps move the temptation in question from the limbic system 
to the free prefrontal cortex. And this allows you to make your decision in the moment with cool thoughts rather than with hot thoughts. I think I've fully explained that in this training. And let's connect it to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So people misuse this statement all the time and they think God will not allow you to be in pain more than you can bear. No, it's about temptation. This verse is not about pain or struggle or trials. It's about temptation. So that's what God's saying. He will not allow you to experience more than you can bear. There is no temptation that is only for you. It's all mankind deals with the same temptations. And God provides ways out. So one of the ways out is putting a frame around it, describing it factually. One of the ways out is talking out loud to yourself and telling Satan, hey, not right now. You know what? I've got work to do. God's given me work to do. Another way out is um, to, what was the third one? Hold on. Oh, if-then statements. To create an if-then statement for yourself. God has more strategies than that, if you will ask him. Plenty more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. He will always provide a way out. You just have to engage the fruit of the spirit of self-control. So let's go back. Galatians 5.23 is the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So you have it. You may feel like you don't have self-control, but you have it. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4.7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is what I thought of when I read that verse. The end of all things is at hand. What I want to say to those children in those surprise room experiments is just wait a little bit longer. Do you know a lot of those students ate the marshmallow on the 18th minute? If they had waited two more minutes, they could have had something more. They ate the marshmallow at the 18th minute. The end of all things is at hand, my friend. Let's wait a little longer. Just wait a little longer. It will be so worth it. So here's your assignment. Create an if-then statement for two situations where you regularly need more self-control. Think of two situations that constantly pull you in, that make you make it. I've given you lots of examples. Food, relationships, sin, all kinds of things. Be honest with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit for direction. What are two situations that you need an if-then statement in place? Create those two, write them down. Now, it may be so private you don't want to share it, but I would encourage you that this is what accountability is. It's sharing those private things that are a temptation to you so that your sisters can pray for you and lift you up and you can be victorious. So think about sharing it this week once you've created that statement. God bless you as you keep going. Hey there, did you know that your vocation is what you're paid to do, but your calling is what you're made to do? If you're ready to step into your calling, let's go. 
God is advancing the kingdom through Christian books. He has given everyone a spiritual gift, and it may be that one way you can exercise your spiritual gift of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, giving, organization, or mercy is by writing a book that will bless other believers and go places that you cannot go yourself. If you don't know how to write a book, put yourself under the mentoring of an experienced Christian author who will pray for and guide you. Join the Keep Writing course, an all-in-one online experience that I've created to take you through the process of finishing, publishing, and marketing your amazing book. Inside, I offer step-by-step lessons and weekly biblical coaching live. Together, we'll solve any problem you face in the name of Jesus. There's simply nothing else like this anywhere. So if you're ready to join us, go to nikamaples.com and click on the Keep Writing course. Get started today.